everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Big Idea, a very special episode. We have a returning guest, the first time I've had a returning guest on One Big Idea in Daniel Allen, who closed out last season with Rio Cragen to talk about his release criteria. Now he's got a new uh, exciting announcement, which I'm, I'm happy to chat with him about. And then the legend, Cooper Turley, who has not been a guest, but has more or less been a shadow guest on like a third of my episodes as you uh, always seem to come up in conversation. So it's great to, to finally have you both on. How are you guys doing? Doing great, great doing great. I did not realize I was a repeat guest. So thanks for having me twice, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to need to get some sort of like merch, like like some sort of like hoodie or something that has recurring guests on there. Maybe we'll do like an NFT. But yeah, having you both on because this week, Daniel, you announced some very exciting news. First of its kind that, that I'm aware of in the music industry. Uh, you announced a $1 million seed round in Daniel Allen Entertainment. I'm going to kick it over to you to explain what that even means uh, and, and why, what your objective is in taking in this capital. For sure. Yeah. So generally, like in the music industry, to get any sort of resources to get your artist project moving, a lot of the times you have to sign your rights away. And sometimes that's in the form of a record deal or a publishing deal. And I think that in a lot of situations, they can really make sense for artists. I think that record labels are really good at taking an artist from going from something to a lot, but they have a little bit of a harder time getting from nothing to something. So there's this kind of weird idle space that like artists are kind of trying to, you know, essentially try to have a moment in a lottery, whether that's a TikTok moment, some other viral marketing moment. And if you don't get that, you it's kind of hard to get to that something level where you end up eventually signing a record deal or whatever. And so for me, like, I started to think about, okay, well, I want to own a little bit more of my stuff, but I, I have this group of people that have been supporting me from day one. Like, how can I start to formalize a little bit more of a relationship with them and treat myself as like the CEO of me, right? And start to use a lot of the resources that, I'm, that I raised from the round to start to bring people around me so that I can really stay focused on the things that I'm good at, which is just making music. I mean, I would hope so. And, uh, you know, thinking of like Web3 ideation. So like a lot of this round is really about scaling my project. So that what that looks like is bringing on developer for some of my Web3 stuff, uh, bringing on like a full-time content person so that, like I said, I can spend more time focused on music and have someone do that. And content's obviously such a big part of uh, music and culture today. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's generally the TLDR. No, it's, it's really exciting. And, and Cooper, from your perspective, like this is a first of its kind deal you know, where an artist is taking outside capital as, as a company. Where where did this idea come from? And, you know, how are you thinking, like, what are you looking to accomplish as an investor and you know, co-leading co this round? Yeah, well, first of all, quick shout out to Palm Tree Crew Crypto for co-leading this round with me. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it without them. You know, everyone in the round was actually so forward thinking when it coming to participate in this. I would say for me, the reason that I started to think about investing in an artist was I was very active as an angel in the space for the last two years. I was doing all of these early stage investments in platforms and protocols. We started Coop Records and we started to invest more in the Web3 music infrastructure layer. And I just started to look at it and say like, why are we treating investment in tech companies any different from investments in creators? You know, I believe that creators are extremely valuable. I'm a very active collector in the space, and I've seen things like Beeple and Xcopy and Coldy and all of these crypto native artists that have gone on to do amazing, amazing things with their career. And so, with someone like Daniel, you know, have been collecting since day one. Um, as he mentioned, I think that there's a lot to be done around artist development, specifically within Web3, but then also without, outside of it. And so my goal as an investor is to say, hey, what does it look like to actually create a structure where if you're someone that wants to put formal capital into an artist's vehicle, you can do that in a way that you actually have exposure to all forms of their career? Because right now in the current state, 
you can buy someone's masters, which means you get money if they make, you know, Spotify streams. You can buy publishing, as Daniel alluded to. You know, maybe you can do something on the Web3 side where you're getting some royalties there, but it doesn't really capture the full picture. And so I think for me, the goal of this round was to be able to set up a vehicle that had exposure to all of Daniel's income streams and whatever he has in the future, but do that in a way that he's not selling his soul. Because we've seen 360 deals in the past with record labels, but traditionally speaking, those deals are taking up a vast majority of ownership. And I think for me with this seed round, the question is how can we make sure that we're all aligned in Daniel's future, but do it in a way such that he maintains flexibility to be able to launch whatever he wants to launch and just be able to support him as an investor as I would in any other tech company today. Yeah. And I guess, Daniel, for you, what did that, you know, you've spoken pretty, pretty openly about your desires to break out and and what that looks like and to have a hit and you know to be seeking major label deals how do you expect this round you know to help you achieve those goals i mean first and foremost we set up the the c corp structure of the company so that i can sign a record deal so this isn't like something that i'm preventing myself from doing in any capacity i think that really what i'm trying to optimize for is i'm trying first of all i'm just trying to buy myself more time right, to be able to work on as much music as possible. And I think that having resources is something that definitely helps with that. Like I just moved into a new studio, uh, you know, it's kind of like my dream studio and set up for artists to come through. But I think generally outside of that, it's kind of like I said, like the way that I view it is I have, if I have a million dollars, right, then I have to have like an average check size that I'm like investing into opportunity to try to make a song move, right? And so whether that's me like putting money into marketing campaigns, whether that's me putting on to, putting money into like different types of advertising and whatnot, like I kind of have, you know, 20 to 50 shots at the goalpost, right? And that's kind of what I'm going for is, is I'm treating it in the same way that like, really like a VC is treating their investment opportunities, right? And so it's like, if I want to put $25,000 towards one single, because I really believe in it, then I can, then I have the wherewithal to kind of experiment and do that just similar, similarly to what I've been doing on the web three side. Yeah, I want to marinate on that point because that's actually like a pretty interesting analog to the VC structure where you effectively it's power law, right? Like you're you're putting out a bunch of diversified bets and you're hoping that one of them will carry the entire portfolio. Are you similarly looking at like your release structure like that? Like I want to be able to take a bunch of different at bats, put a bunch of music out there and, you know, really put gas on uh, the ability for one or two of them to pop off to effectively pay for for everything. I think I think to an extent that's correct where I'm definitely looking for like to have a big record. I've been so open about that, but I think that the good thing about the vehicles is that it has four pockets that people get exposure to. So like one part of it is like my masters in publishing, right? But another part of it is my NFT sales, and another part of it is my touring, and another part of it is like future ventures that I just haven't announced yet. So really like for me it's as long as long as one of those things is something I a lot what, what people do like when it's a record label situation is like they're investing in a, pro, a, a person for like a very set period of time, like across like one project or like one album or an album with an option. Whereas I feel like a lot of this round has been more of an investment in my track record for sure. But also like the fact that I know, t- like I can come up with ideas, I can come up with ideations for things that I want to do in the future. And I think that people really like took a bet on me in that capacity. So like on the one hand, like to answer your question, sure. Like I really want to have, I really want to have like a hit record and I really want to take these shots on goal. Right. But it's it also, I think, doesn't live within the context of just having like a record that has, you know, 500 million streams or whatever. I think that at the same time, I think it would be super successful to have like the biggest music NFT project of all time by like a wide margin, you know, and, and I think that's that's something that people who were a part of the project were like really excited about. 
Yeah. And it, it's interesting to me, like you're, you're changing the altitude of investment, like tr- traditionally labels, right? They're like, you're saying they invest, maybe it's, it's one album, maybe it's a multi-album with an option, but to actually invest in the individual and give them flexibility to go and execute across their multiple verticals. Cause who knows, you know, what will end up being the most, most fruitful, but actually getting the benefit of that. Coop, what went into your thinking and, and how you were, or, structuring this because unlike label financing, you know, the seed round is non-recoupable. Why was that important? And how are you thinking about, uh, distribution to the, the LPs in this fund? Yeah. So I would say that, um, first of all, non-recoupable investment was very important because it's not about this being a profit share. You know, I think that if this was a situation where every time that Daniel made $10, the investors got one, that would be a very different dynamic. You know, when you think about venture investing, the goal here is not to have, you know, couple hundred thousand dollars of cash flow coming back over the next few years, it's to really go for that 100x return and have Daniel be a breakout star. And so I think going into this, we set the expectation very clearly that when you invest in an early stage company, like let's use something like Sound XYZ, for example, every time Sound makes a dollar of profit, I don't expect to see a distribution from that. And so I think it's just recognizing that in the industry today, when it comes to investing in creative and in IP, it's a very much profit share relationship. But for this one, it's much more of an equity relationship where our bet is that Daniel is going to be an incredible star in the future. He's going to have lots of ventures that are very profitable. And when it comes to the distributions back to investors, it probably looks a lot more like an IPO than it does like a revenue share or profit share agreement. And I'll be the first to say, I actually don't know exactly what that end state looks like yet. But I think the intention here is to set up a vehicle that felt more directionally similar to an IPO than it did a revenue share, because that allows Daniel to still experiment with things like going and signing a record deal or going on a major tour or setting up something else for himself and more artists in his ecosystem, where we can kind of see success across all those verticals and not be focused on how does Daniel maximize revenue starting immediately? Because I actually think in a lot of ways that can be really inhibiting to his growth if we start to focus only on profit instead of thinking about what a long form, long scale business looks like over a five to 10 year time horizon. No, it makes sense. And you brought up, you know, an IP, it being a, akin to an IPO. Do you see a future in which like an artist could actually go public? I know there's been a lot of conversation around what Mr. Beast is doing and being, you know, he's raising money at like a $2 billion valuation. You know, it, it would stand a reason that like Mr. Beast as a company, just like Daniel is a, is a company. So what would preclude them from being able to go public? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's absolutely going to happen. I think the question is if, not when. And it's going to be um, it's going to be some time. You know, I think it's going to be at least like a couple of years from now where people feel comfortable with the idea of investing in creators. But I absolutely see it being a reality. I think in a lot of ways, NFTs have kind of started to open that conversation in a way that didn't really exist before. You know, and it's just really a language and a maturity type thing. And I think right now there's a lot of infrastructure that's required to be able to, quote unquote, invest in a creator. But I'm really optimistic that specifically with this situation, it changes the dynamic of what we know when it comes to, quote unquote, investing in a creator in Web3 today. You know, we saw this big wave of social tokens where creators had assets that represented their name and likeness. We saw a big wave of NFT drops where creators would raise, you know, millions of dollars around some specific project that they spun out. But I think the biggest thing that was lacking there is there was no relationship between the creator's actual earnings and the vehicle that you were buying. You know, it was basically this trust vector that if someone did really well, that their token would go up because it kind of represents them. But I think the difference here is that this vehicle, as Daniel alluded to, it represents his masters, his publishing, his touring, his NFTs, whatever else comes in the future. And I think if you think about a vehicle that represents exposure to all of that different um, assets and income streams, that investable asset to me 
is much greater than anything we've seen in the past. And so I think the goal here would be to create a playbook such that a creator like Daniel can raise outside capital and early stage from accredited investors. But over time, as he scales his ecosystem, start to really open up what that means and who can invest so that it's no longer only just a private set of individuals, but it's anyone and everyone that thinks that Daniel Allen is an exciting, promising opportunity in the future. So they can also share in those same benefits and relationships that all of the early investors did as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Daniel, to you, do you have any reservations or how did you think through, you know, who was actually included in the round now that you have you know, LPs that are going to have expectations in terms of, you know, either delivering on, on their investment or simply the level of communication? How do you view these relationships different than you know, people that are purchasing your NFTs? Well, I think uh, me and Cooper were really particular because me and Cooper have an interesting relationship where like he was an investor in the round, but he's also someone that has been like project managing for me for a little bit and has helped me like kind of navigate the waters. So like when, when you know, I came to him and I was like, okay, I kind of want to do this. And he was already looking at doing this through Coop Records. We were kind of, we decided that we wanted to be like pretty particular, I guess, in terms of like who we wanted to bring in, like how we wanted, like how we wanted to set expectations. And I think that like the big part of it for me is like everyone that is included in this round we're basically just formalizing a relationship that had already like existed because a lot of these people already had like so many of my, they have been collecting me like broadly anywhere from like the past six months to, you know, all the way up to two years. Right. And so I remember like Adam Dogelli from Noisedow uh, in True Ventures, like he just hit me on Telegram and he was like, Hey man, just, just sent, just like signed the safe, like happy to be formally in business. And that was kind of my way of thinking about it. It's like, yeah, like you've been like supporting me like from the sidelines and kind of being a cheerleader, I think for, for the, the better half of two years now. So it really was just like, it was a pretty easy process in that way because I already had some sort of a relationship with the people. And that's something I've been working on for the past couple of years. Yeah. And it, Coop, any additional thoughts there in terms of how you guys formulated the round, who, uh, you know, who was able to participate? I'm sure a lot of people raised their hands and, you know, Daniel, you've been one of the most, if not the most successful Web3 artists of like the past year. And so people that have been paying attention to this space obviously raised their hand. So how was that selection process? Well, I'll start by saying it was entirely crypto native investors, you know, people that had made um, or had success in the past based off of their investments in Web3 vehicles. So I think that was a really important starting point. I think it was people who were very open to this idea that like Web3 music and investing in creators was actually feasible. And so if you look at that round, um, myself and Palm Tree Crew Crypto as the co-leads, you had Noise DAO, Woodstock DAO, FireEyes DAO, three DAOs that have been investing in early stage Web3 companies for a while. And then the angels are largely, you know, either GPs of other venture funds or collectors of other NFTs or people that have had a lot of success in that ballpark. So to Daniel's point, I think we really just sat down and we just kind of looked top down at who all of his biggest collectors or supporters are. And we just went one by one and had kind of a conversation with them. And I think the hardest part here was helping people get behind this idea of investing in an artist. And I think there was a lot of people who participated for the novelty of it. You know, this is a new vehicle. It's very uncharted and unproven. And with those conversations, we went into it saying like, hey, we don't actually really know how this is going to pan out, but we think that this is conceptually exciting. Here's a framework that feels very similar to all of the investments that you've made in the past. And we're hoping that you can come in just to figure this out with us. And to Daniel's point, the expectation was this is non-recoupable. You know, don't expect to get paid out every single time that there's an investment being made back. We still need to figure out what the exit strategy looks like, if there even is one, but we're going to figure that out in time. And so it was really just kind of going to every person and making sure they felt comfortable with the expectations as they were laid out. Because the one thing that I think would really kill this round is if Daniel brought in investors, then he had to answer 
questions about who to put on a song or what you know producers to be working with or where to release his music or how to release his music and so up front we were extremely explicit about saying daniel's in control here he's in the driver's seat and we're basically just looking to bring on capital to empower him and if that sounds like an exciting prospect to you we'd love to have you involved no it makes makes sense and i think setting those expectations up front i mean being a seed stage company, if you will, like they're, you're a growth stage company. And so figuring out your exit is going to take time of, of what that looks like. And quite frankly, you know, in the traditional VC world where you're looking at an exit of eight to 10 years, we're going to be in a completely different environment, both in web three and just for creators broadly. So giving yourself that flexibility, uh, I think, I think is really wise. Daniel, as you think about this financing, how, like, where do you expect most of it to go in terms of your artist release strategy? Do you expect to be able to invest in certain areas more than you have previously? How do you kind of see it shaking out? To be to be honest, I think that everything that I've done in the past has been me running into problems and trying to solve them in real time. I think that the best way that I can answer that is like my biggest problem currently is like navigating this whole content landscape. You know what I mean? I mean, I've always with the Web3 stuff, especially like I have a pretty good cadence of how I want to do things. I have broader plans for something that I want to do over the summer. So that those kind of railings are already in place for me in terms of what I'm doing. So I don't I'm not really as stressed about those things. I think that right now, again, there's a lot of things that I that I can't say, like right that I have coming up that I would love to talk about at some point. Maybe sure. I'll be like the first person to come back a third time to talk come about. Come back that. again, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, g- generally speaking, the, the best the best way that I can put it is like I am putting myself in a position to just focus on on music, and the biggest part of that right now is just the content thing, man. Like you know that Austin, like as as, some, as someone who's picked this up and built something from scratch, Cooper you know this obviously just as well. And like, for me, it, it's just a huge lift. And for me, the biggest thing about me that is a non-starter is that I, I have to stay focused on music. It's something that like, is anyone who knows me at all knows that I would prefer to be doing music for 20 hours a day. Right. And so, but at the same time, like so much of music right now is reliant on the discovery mechanisms, mechanisms behind it. And the reality is that there are very few of them. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it's basically just, it lives in this one vector. And so I'm just kind of focused on broadening my reach as much as I can this year. And I think that's where some of the resources are going to go in the short run. Yeah. And Coop, it seems like you have something to add. Yeah. I'll just say that um, this idea of building a full-time team around an artist is a very exciting prospect to me. You know exactly what that shapes out as. I think we're going to figure out in real time. But traditionally in music, I'd say that most artists work with contractors more or less. You know, It's people that have five or six clients or they're on a label that has 10 or 15 clients on their roster. And so I think that my definition of success here is actually not really being too explicit about how the funding is being broken down. It's being very experimental about saying, hey, the goal here is to build a team around Daniel Allen as an artist and as a business. What exactly slots in there? I think we're going to figure out in real time, but at least we can have those conversations. And to Daniel's point, I think that right now, we've very much been operating on like a project by project basis of like, okay, here's criteria. Who are we bringing on for this specific project? Or here's Glasshouse. Who are we bringing on for this specific project? But now you can shift that mentality to Who's working for Daniel Allen full-time, 40 hours a week? And I think once you start to ask those questions, the leverage becomes a lot higher 
And so I think our goals for this year is basically just to figure out what does that team look like so that Daniel can just sit in that studio and cook up and have as many people coming through as possible and allow the system around him to really work in his favor so that he can be releasing at a cadence that ext- that's extremely competitive. He can have people behind him that are working these records in a way that's extremely competitive. And when it comes to things like working with major labels, when they start to come to the table to work with Daniel, they're going to see this infrastructure that's already behind him. And I think that prospect is going to make it a lot more exciting for partners because they know they don't need to resource every side of the puzzle. They can really zoom in and optimize on what they're great at and trust that Daniel's team and his system behind him is going to do the vast majority of the work. No, 100%. And it also just gives you so much more leverage, right? Like, I think oftentimes, Daniel, you'll know this better than anyone, like a lot of independent artists get stuck between a rock and a hard place where they want to be able to advance their career, but they don't have the resources to do so. And so they take deals that they otherwise shouldn't. And so being able to negotiate from a position of strength, I think, is is more than anything, just a massive value here. And it's 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 a it really is a catch-22, right? Like we, for criteria... After we put it out on the Web3 side, I ended up having a lot of the major label conversations, you know, and like I like I said, I there's always a time and a place. I think that there's a world that it happens down the line. But my biggest non-starter, I think two years ago would have been I need to pay my rent. Whereas I think that now the biggest the the biggest thing for me in these conversations was like, I don't it's not about the money that you give me. It's not about like the resources or the team that you put behind me because I can take care of those things. My biggest non-starter was do not slow me down. Like I have a pace. I have a cadence that I want to move at. If I make a song today, I want to be able to drop it on sound or on my site tomorrow. And I don't want anyone like I don't want to have to go through any like kind of corporate ladder or corporate structure. Or anyone that tells me that like that's something that I cannot do, you know. And I especially don't want to be like shelved or deprioritized. Like the, I think that the biggest benefit of this is that I get to be the CEO of me, which means I'm always going to be the biggest priority. So yeah. So how how have you been navigating that then, Daniel? Because you know you're speaking to massive corporations that have a lot of structure. They have a way of doing things. They have a way a way of how they like to see releases come into the world. They need to coordinate all of these various teams. And you're coming in, you know, with a very clear direction creatively of how you want to be able to operate. What has the reception been like so far? You know, how do you expect to be able to kind of like mend those worlds together? I mean. Candidly, it's something that I want to do. Like I want to find, I, like I said, I think that majors are really good at taking a song from something to, from something to like something really big. But I, I haven't had any conversations since the beginning of the raise. So like we're, we're, we're working on my next project. We're taking things one step at a time. I mean, I would imagine that it would be exactly as I just said. Like the good thing is like I get to treat a label as like an a la carte service, right? And I'm kind of like, look, I have, these are the things that I do have. These are the things that are like moving in my direction. I'm in my mind, it's kind of like more simple for them because it's like, I'm literally like, look, I'm asking for your help specifically with this distribution arm of like what you're doing. So maybe like the, the, the good situation for me is like the distribution arm of a major that has like, you, you kind of fit under the same umbrella, but you have a little bit more flexibility. But since announcing the raise, we haven't, we haven't started any new conversations. A lot of them was, a lot of them were right after criteria. Yeah, it's just really fascinating to me because I think you're almost coming to it from the position of a renewal with a superstar act in the sense of like, you know, no one can tell Taylor Swift what to do, right? At the end of the day, like however she wants to handle it with her team, like the label is going to acquiesce to it because they already have the bona fides. They already have the streaming success. They already have the global success. And I think you're affording yourself the opportunity to just be at a much different place in terms of leverage because of the resources that you have. For sure. 
Yeah, I want to uh, jump in there and just say that one thing that's really interesting to me about this position is Daniel's done extremely well for himself in Web3 over the last couple of years. I don't think there's any denying that. But I think we have a lot of work to do when it comes to traditional streaming, when it comes to touring and building a fan base. And so I think the question here is how do you balance kind of being in this leadership position when it comes to a niche sector like Web3 while figuring out how to navigate the traditional landscape where it's just a lot different ballpark? And so I think for me, you know, watching Daniel's journey, it's been frustrating, frankly, to watch him go and drop 2,500 editions on sound, have the biggest drop in sound history, and then take this project to the major label system and watch all these conversations just kind of mull around, you know, get deals and opportunities that are like good, but they're not great. And then Daniel having to ask himself, how do I want to do this moving forward? And so I think for me, the question is, how do we build a way forward that's not too traditional in the sense that it doesn't really lock him into anything that's going to tie his hands on his back, but also just recognize that he has a lot of leverage when it comes to Web3 and really just asking himself, like, what does that look like for him to do something that's bigger than Criteria? And how do we actually merge those worlds such that in an ideal world, if Daniel's putting out Criteria on sound, I don't think that Criteria should come out in the summer six months later. I think that those two things should be very closely intertwined. And I think that he should have a partner behind him on the traditional side that sees the value and the impact of a drop like what happened on sound and is really able to marry those two worlds together. So that as Daniel starts to build a fan base, there doesn't need to be this sort of split relationship between his Web3 collectors and his Web2 fans. I think those worlds really need to coexist. And I think that the ideal partner is someone who really sees that clearly. Yeah, so let's go a step further on that in terms of in, in the entire rollout strategy, what is the relationship that you would ideally like to see between Web3 and the traditional streaming rollout and how closely intertwined should they be? Is it that it comes out on Web3 first and then it moves to Web2 or they come out at the same time? How are you thinking about that strategy? I think generally speaking, it should happen at the same time or as close to it as possible. I mean, for me, a lot of the a lot of the resources that I'm using from this raise is kind of creating some sort of a top of funnel is 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 like more about creating top of funnel opportunities for people to eventually have more interest on the Web three side. Like I've always said, like I want to be very subtle and very tasteful about how I bring these things into my ecosystem because the reality is the average fan like doesn't give a fuck about doesn't care about a music NFT, right? You know, like. I, I care very deeply about kids thinking this is cool. And like, I've been saying that for months now. And I think that the way that kids think it's cool is not because of like an NFT. Like, I think that kids will think it's cool if you put on a really good show and if you have, if you have really good music. And I want to be able to like play a show or play a festival where it's like someone is genuinely having the reaction in the crowd because I grew up going to music festivals with like my best friends. And I remember just being like, wow, this song is really sick. And then like, just, I remember the moment where you like actually sh- like discover who the artist is because you happen to be at a festival and they're the f- they're like the fourth artist in between the artist you want to see and the artist you just saw and you kind of have to stay there and you end up really enjoy seeing the set and then you like become a fan for life because you you end up just kind of sticking around and, and, and looking them up and so I think that somewhere in that world I think that I really want to find a way to plug in yeah like this is a cool song i'm glad you like it here's a music music nft like of this record if this is something that you're interested in if you don't want to like have a vinyl or whatever if you don't want to have merch like i kind of want to want to add this like new i guess like vertical per se you know and it's the same thing with like the things that i do with my artwork like i want if i have really cool visuals at my show which is a part of putting on a really good show in my opinion in a very ideal world that artist is someone who has some shit on foundation or super rare or whatever and like someone i want like a fan to be like wow this art is crazy like look at this who is this artist? And then just kind of create synergy between those two worlds too. But yeah, I've, I, I want to approach it from a place of like making it undeniable. And then if it's undeniable, then having an NFT associated with it just becomes cool. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And you just made me very excited to go to Coachella. I'm like, oh, I've like th- those experiences. I think like everyone's had those experiences, right? Oh. Where you're just like, you have to get there early, and so like you're waiting like a couple sets. It's like, who is this person? So definitely, definitely uh, feel that. In terms of like the blending of like digital and physical are you thinking through you've been playing like a lot of shows recently are you thinking through how you bring more of the digital experiences into your live events or like how you can bring you know nfts or or collectibles or what have you into the live uh experiences that you're having i really love iyk to be honest yeah I i think that they do really interesting things and i would love to do an activation with them at some point um even with I mean, I, I just think that there's so many worlds where it works. Like when we were doing Criteria, I loved working with OnCyber and I loved having like some sort of like this online world that existed. And maybe in the future that happens in tandem, like with the shows, you know? Um, but yeah, like, dude, of course. Like, I, I, I'm so glad that this whole podcast, we haven't said the words bridging the gap because that that like bridging the gap <laughs> have like become what like community and utility were in like 2021. Um, so it's, but but generally that's like the sentiment is like, Of course, that's like we all have like the same goal of like bringing the worlds together and whatnot. But I want to do that in every facet of everything that I do. Like I want to find a way to like incorporate that into songs. Like I want to find a way to incorporate that into artworks. I want to find a way to incorporate it into shows. But I just don't want to do it in a way that's corny, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Corny, schemorphic. I'm with you. Coop, what what are your thoughts? I was going to tweet out last night that we're back at the part of the cycle where everyone thinks that crypto is either a joke or a scam. And it's actually like really refreshing <laughs> because I feel like it's so funny for me to go out, you know, hanging with friends in LA and be like, they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm like a collector. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I like buy songs. And they're like, what do you mean like buy songs? And like, it's like so hard to translate. And I've been like so fascinated by this idea of like, how the hell do you get people to understand <laughs> what is going on? Because there's like so many ways to explain it. And then I start being like, no, but like you can buy the song early. And then if other people like it, they can buy it later. And I'm like, okay, but it's not about the money and stuff. And so we're kind of like beta testing. Like, how the hell do you talk about this to people? Because right now, most people, I tell them that I collect music NFTs and they're just like, right over their head they don't give a fuck you know they have no clue what i'm talking about and so i still think that there's quite a long ways to go there but i think that daniel's extremely accurate that it does start with the youth culture and so something that i'm personally excited about this year is to spend more time developing an audience at colleges and developing an audience with kids that are on the come up so it's not about only targeting collectors in web3 which is i think where we kind of are today and instead really branching out and having these conversations with kids that have $20 in their bank account and doing everything that we can to make it so that they can actually spend $5 on one of Daniel's songs and become a super fan thanks to the fact that they're able to collect his record on a platform like Sound. So it sounds like you're generally in favor of like the lower price meta, open editions, everything that's been going on as of late. Daniel, I just recently collected your Cage uh, Music NFT, which is the cheapest one you've ever done, right? It was like five bucks on an open edition. Mm Mm-hmm. Daniel, you yeah, should start and so this I guess how are we got a lot of thoughts here, so uh, I'll, I'll follow on, but <laughs> yeah, Daniel, take a stab at it. Yeah, yeah, Daniel, I would love to know, you know, why why you did it to begin with. Um, obviously, it marks like a pretty significant shift in terms of the accessibility of the of the NFT. But uh, go ahead. I think number one, I just wanted to like I knew that I would have a lot of attention uh, like after we announced the raise, and so for me, top of funnel is just the 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 buzzword of this of this whole like chat for me but i thought it was just going to be a really cool opportunity to let people who are like on the fringe who have no idea what a music nft like have like a world to start entering and so that's like that was my entire process for doing it yesterday and for doing it at the five bucks because 
I mean, I had so many people that like know nothing about music NFTs who saw the headline <laughs> of what happened yesterday and their immediate deep dive was like, what does this kid do? And then you could very quickly see that like at the, at, on the same thread that I was dropping something the same day and I didn't want to be like, boom, it's 300 bucks, you know, like, like just to, just to get involved and be a part of my project. So I wanted to kind of create that as an opportunity for people who have like never been like fans of my work uh, or like who, who don't have any music NFTs in their wallet to like have their first one and have it be mine. I'll follow on there by saying that um, I think it's inevitable that the price of music NFTs needs to come down for this whole space to scale. You know, if you look at all of the catalog that's out there in the world, expecting people to spend $20, $50, $100 per record is just not feasible. You know, I think that the best part about Web3 is there's always optionality for that. You know, if I'm an artist who believes that my work is worth one ETH or 0.1 ETH, you can always price it like that. But I think the reality is over the long term, music NFTs are going to cost between $1 to $10 at scale. And I think that that's the only way that this space is able to bring on a million artists and a million new collectors is by making it so that the purchase price of each of these assets isn't something that's going to break the bank. And so I think the question that we have right now is how do we actually make that price point feel manageable? Because the reality is right now, if you buy something for $2 on mainnet, you're spending $6 on gas to buy it and you're spending more on gas than the actual NFT itself. But the single reason why I'm so excited about music as a vertical is that it's one of the few content types you can actually focus on a $5 asset. You know, and if you look at Web3 in general and NFTs at large, everything is a high value asset. You know, you're looking at Bored Apes and you're looking at Azukis and stuff like that. And it's like 20 ETH to be able to get into these ecosystems. And where I'm coming from is saying, hey, if we're focusing on those college kids, you have $100 in their bank account. We need to make these assets accessible so that if Daniel puts out 50 records over the course of the next two years, we can't be asking his fans to spend thousands of dollars a year on his work. They need to be able to come in and buy something for $5, buy something for $2, and still feel like they're invested in his career without them feeling like they need to choose to go and buy something they've always wanted to or buy one of Daniel's music NFTs. It needs to be very quick and accessible. And so for that reason, I actually think that this open edition, low price meta is a step in the right direction because that's probably what it's going to look like at scale. To play devil's advocate, how do you think about stratifying value if everything is a low price point? You you have there clearly like is a market for these high price point NFTs. Every Daniel Allen drop that comes out immediately sells out at, at pretty high numbers. And you look at the average resale value, a lot of these are trading over one ETH. And so how do you balance that between making it accessible and also ensuring that you have like this high value collector uh, you know, NFT pieces? I was saying this to Daniel yesterday. I actually think that the more accessible his NFTs become, the more valuable his early work is because it was so scarce and because it was so premium. And so I think that it's really about having the spectrum where you have $5 NFTs for someone who's new to the ecosystem. And then you have criteria or you have too close or you have overstimulated EP and things that are kind of more of the OG early grails in his collection versus the kind of more accessible new assets in his ecosystem. But I do think that this is the biggest thing that's going to be challenging moving forward is you know, sound recently changed their charts that the metric for success is mints. You know, and I think for someone like Daniel, it's not really about him trying to sell as many NFTs as possible. You know, he's been extremely forward thinking about saying, hey, like these collections are priced in a certain way. They're being structured in a certain way from a supply and a rarity standpoint. And I think the conversation's changing now. And so I think to give a very direct answer to that, the reality is I think that pricing needs to become a lot more dynamic. And I think there needs to be a lot more liquidity trading these low price assets where we can't expect people to be listing buying something for 0.001 and listing it for 0.0011. You know, we need to have more automated vehicles such that if I come and buy 10, 25, 50 editions of a $1 NFT, I can go and sell that in an experience that feels a lot more close to trading a token on Uniswap than it is trying to focus on selling these 
one NFT at a time, which is where I think we're at now in the market, relative to being able to buy and sell these assets in bulk, which is where I think that this gets really, really exciting. So are you anticipating that we'll move to a place where there are just liquidity pools and you'll be able, I mean, similar to like what's going on on the PFP side with Blur, you'll just have open bids that you'll be able to sell into at, in bulk? 100%. Yeah, I think that you're going to be able to buy 100, 250, 500 music NFTs in one transaction. If you want to sell that, you don't have to go to Sound Market and list one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera. You can just have a one price offer, sell 100 assets at a time and get a quote for that and be able to trade this in a way that feels a lot less of like a one to one sale and much more of like a one to many relationship, which I think is going to be a huge unlock for selling both music and content at scale. Yeah, it's interesting. There is I like I like it and hate it at the same time. Obviously from, you know, pure speculation standpoint, I've watched what's happened on the PFP side with Blur and the liquidity that it's brought to the market. You've effectively had these PFPs trading as shit coins and and ultimately like taking a lot of the the fun and allure out of you know, collecting. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's brought on a lot of people because they know that they're able to easily enter and exit in the same way that you would, you know, a, a, a buying ETH or buying buying Bitcoin. And so finding that balance between caring for and respecting the art and like giving it its proper place and ensuring that the user experience is, you know, we still hold it up as as a creative work while also allowing for real markets to to build up in the space. Honestly, I think one of the places that did it really well in the beginning and, and not so much anymore is Top Shot. If you think about mm-hmm. how these marketplaces had a ton of liquidity, but they still reserved a lot of space for the art itself instead of like having, you know, small little JPEG pictures that no one could see and just focus on like Bloomberg terminal. So I think, I think you're right. It's just finding that balance. Yeah. And I think that the interface for trading here is going to be very important as well. You know, right now I totally agree with you. Like the change that OpenSea made from being more of a art focused collection to just showing like your assets in a top down portfolio view, that was really like overwhelming and weird. You know, as someone who's been like a collector and a patron for a long time before a trader, but I think that's something that's interesting with the music is, you know, have apps like SpinApp, right? When you're buying and selling music, you're probably not going to like a terminal to buy that. You're just like playing a song like you normally would. And there just happens to be a collect button. And when it comes to buying and selling that, I don't think you're expecting to go to your portfolio and look at sort of the rarity traits associated with the song. It's just about curation. And I think for me, as someone who's been a curator for such a long time, the ability to share a song, have someone buy that song because I shared it with them and then me make money from that is such a huge unlock. You know, and nowhere in that process are we talking about what's the difference between edition number five and edition number 25. The through point there is we both just love this song. And so I think one of the reasons that music is very uniquely primed is it actually takes away a lot of those other variables in terms of what's the color of this music NFT or what's sort of the traits behind it. And instead, the focus is to Daniel's point, is this a good song or not? And I think the closer we can get to the point where people are trading music because they genuinely like the song and not any of the extracurriculars around it, I think that's when this market actually starts to become a reality to the mainstream because we're taking away all of these weird NFT nuances that we've become so comfortable with in the space today. And we're just focused on what drives mainstream markets, which is just culture. And I think that's what it really needs to be about at the end of the day. Love it. And and Daniel, I wonder just... If you could take a second to be a bit retrospective on your time in the space and like how it's evolved, what what are your thoughts on where we're currently at and where, where do you think the Web3 space needs to evolve to, to get to mainstream adoption? 
Honestly, I'm really excited about where we're currently at because like Cooper kind of said earlier, people are kind of shitting on it right now, which I think is like the most exciting part because it kind of always like sheds the fat for lack of a better way of like putting it. Like this is something that I have full conviction in because I, I, I dropped my first music NFT to, I guess, April of 2021, like beginning of April of 2021. So a little under two years ago. Almost two uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is, is I didn't have to go into like a lottery system. I just kind of showed up and was like, I work really hard. I feel like I deserve to make a living off music because I work really hard and because I'm really confident in my music. And the reality is, is that doesn't exist for a lot of people. Like my, my parents are from the former Soviet Union. They're from Ukraine, right? And, and Ukraine is a communist country. If you work really hard, uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like you get, you get the same as everyone else. And like, for me, I was like, look, I work really hard. I want to be able to do this. And I don't want the, I don't want to be able to like have a lottery. You know, I don't want to be able to just like, I, I don't want to just rely on like putting my, putting my shit into a lottery and hoping that I blow up and have like one big moment. And I think that having the conviction that other artists can do that is something that's really empowering for not myself, but also them. I think that everything that I've done, whether it's this raise, whether it's Glasshouse, whether it's Criteria has been all about showing other artists they can do the same thing. And I think it really just all comes down to communication. And my, so for me, where we're at is kind of, I suppose irrelevant because I have so much like belief in like what, what I've done and what people around me want to do, you know? And I think that it'll have like a trickle down effect for like a lot of artists to come. I think, uh, Daniel, it'd be funny for you to tell the story about JJ coming over to the crib yesterday and like, you know, talking a little about doing NFTs and just like some of that conversation. Cause Daniel had a very full circle moment yesterday where he was like, yeah, man, I remember when I was first getting into NFTs, you know, and like, he's like wondering what he was asking and stuff. And now Daniel's in that position where artists are coming to him and asking about doing NFTs. And I think just some like reflection on that would be funny to share. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, dude, I mean, I say this in so many like Twitter spaces and stuff. It's like, I'm not that smart of a dude. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I hear like some of the shit that you guys talk about, about like, oh, like we're going to go deep into like liquidity pools and whatnot. And I'm just, I just kind of I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of look at my notes. Like, you know, like just don't like I'm, I'm, and I think that that's a good thing. I think that's like when I, when I spoke at Syracuse, like to the, to the Bandier program, like they, they were like, man, a bunch of kids came up to me after and they're like, dude, you like humanized this for us, you know, because I think that a lot of the, the language uh, and just dialogue around NFTs in general is like very techie, like very bro-y, I think like in, in a lot of context. And so when, when my friend JJ came over yesterday, he's like, uh, he's a insanely talented producer. Like he, he saw what I did and he was like, oh man, like, can I come over, like hang out for a little bit? I want to ask you some questions. And he was asking me like, you know, just like no shade. Like it was, it was saying like, so you put the song on the blockchain, like, like, just like, just, just yeah. stuff like that. And I was like, I, I, I was trying not to judge him because I, like I, I told Cooper afterwards, I was like, dude, like, I don't have much of a recollection because I kind of just hit the ground running. Like I was like, all right, catalog. Like that, that was the first thing catalog. All right, cool. That's what I'm doing. We're doing catalog. All right, cool, cool, cool. Let's do it. Okay. Sound is going to be a thing where, you know, like I just ran right the fuck through it, but I don't have the recollection of me being at that same place, which was the case two years ago, like two, two years ago, I'm sure that I was like trying to FaceTime Cooper and, and text Cooper all the time being like, Hey man, what like PFP should I buy or whatever? You know, like I'm, I'm a hundred percent certain that, that that was a case, you know? And so it's like, I think that to show that two years ago, I put a record that I already had done, downloaded a MetaMask, borrowed some ETH, right? I think, yeah. And, and I just sent ETH to my friend Nalia who, uh, she, she just uploaded on sound too. Like, and just having these moments of being like, 
there's nothing, there was nothing more to it than that for me outside of working really hard. And that's where I started publicly. I think it's really, is really powerful for like a bunch of other artists. And it's just funny as fuck because I know I'm still really stupid, but at that time, like it was just, I was just so green about it, man. You know, like I just didn't know anything about it. Like I thought that like, I thought that Cooper like pulling up on me and telling me about music NFTs was like that meme. That's like, have you heard of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ? Like, like, you know, the guy like, <laughs> chasing after you you know like that's, that's literally that what was, i thought it kind was. Of was let's be honest let's be honest but look man you're not stupid all right i'm gonna need you to talk i'm gonna need you to stop the self-sabotage talk out here all right you're a smart guy you work hard technical. i'm not nearly as yeah i work hard i'll say that a million times but i'm not nearly as technical as like you guys like you know i don't there's i didn't i didn't come up in like DeFi summer or like have a deep understanding of any of those things you know i'm just kind of like i make music and i'm into it you know, <laughs> but I think that's the yeah. beautiful thing is like we are moving crypto in general is rapidly moving towards a place where like consumers can understand and like where the superpowers are now coming. It used to be the technical audience that like held the keys and now it's those that understand user experience. So we've moved completely from like a technical audience to a mainstream consumer audience. And now you, you constantly hear like, who's going to build the killer app? Who's going to build the killer app? And it's, uh, it's going to be people that understand consumers. It's going to be people that can put it in layman's terms of what people want. <laughs> yeah. That's dude, it might be <laughs> and I, uh, I think to add something in there, this is one of my more contentious opinions right now, but I think that the next chapter of crypto is going to be a lot more handheld than I think it has been to date. When I talk to artists, most artists don't want to make a MetaMask. They don't want to download Coinbase to buy ETH, to send it to their MetaMask, then go and mint something. And so something that I'm thinking a lot about this year is how do we make it such that if someone wants to mint their song on sound, they don't need to become like a level seven wizard when it comes to Web3. Like, is there a world where they can just send someone literally a wave and a cover art and know that their song's going to be up there so that it doesn't have to be such an overwhelming experience because i think if we can lower the barrier to what it means to actually put this content on chain i think that's going to open up a lot of new opportunities but the trade-off there is that if you're making it easier for someone that means that you're sacrificing on things like sovereignty and around private key management but i do think that a lot of that's going to be extremely necessary so i think a lot of the goal for me this year um you know beyond just daniel's artist project is like how do we bring on a thousand more artists, 10,000 more artists, a hundred thousand more artists without expecting each and every one of those artists to make a MetaMask. Cause I think if that's what we need in order to get these people on board in the first place, this is not going to work. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and ultimately like a lot of our first experiences in crypto for a lot of people was Coinbase, right? Like you went to a centralized exchange where you were giving up some of that self-sovereignty and then you moved to a more decentralized place as you started to learn more, as you needed more of those decentralized tooling. So I, I don't like buy into the argument that it's binary and like we have to pick one or the other. I'm much more of the idea that adoption tends to take a little bit more handholding and then you gradually level up. Like ultimately crypto, in my opinion, should feel like a game and you want the game to match what your skill level is. If the game is too hard, no one's going to play. You end up dying. You're like, fuck this. I'm going to go outside. But if you feel like you're constantly making progress, you know, you can make the game harder and harder as you, you know, are able to level up. So I'm trying to turn this into yeah. Fruit Ninja. Seriously, yeah. Seriously. yeah. Well, let's just make Fruit Ninja. <laughs> I think on some, uh, on some real shit though, the last thing I want to say here, Austin, is there's no reason yeah. every artist shouldn't have all of their songs on chain somewhere. You know what I mean? Like you're literally just leaving money on the table. And I think that's something that I'm really excited about this year is to make it super easy so that Web3 can become a honeypot where you say to someone, hey, like, let me just throw these songs up there for you. And oh, by the way, you actually just made another hundred, two hundred, a thousand dollars because you just 
put this song on sound. And I think right now, it's not really how people are thinking about it. I think they think if they want to drop on sound, they need to get really well versed in what Web3 means and be hip to this whole lingo and culture. But I think if we can get to a world where every artist is just like, yeah, it's like DistroKid. Like you have your music on like 15 different DSPs. Why not just make sound number 16 on that list? I think that's the world that we need to get to. And I'm very optimistic that within the next 12 months, we can get to that point. Facts. Any any final words, Daniel? And then we'll we'll sign off. This has been a great great episode. Take risks. If you're an artist, take risks. Mint your shit and uh, realize that there are alternatives out there. Because that's why I did this thing. That's why I do all this shit. Is like I don't want it to be you sign a record deal or you're independent and fucked and in a lottery. Like there are real alternatives out there, and like hopefully someone does a better job than me for all of them. I'm just out here trying to build some sort of a blueprint that someone can take bits and pieces of and build on. So yeah, thanks for having me, Austin. Super stoked. Of course. I think that is the perfect one big idea to end on. Cooper, Daniel, amazing as always. Uh, thank you both for, for joining and, and congratulations again. This is a monumental moment, not just for you guys, but for the entire space. So really looking forward to seeing where it all goes from here. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, man. Thank you as always. <laughs>